Okay, everybody, welcome back once again to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, along with Haggai Davis III, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Here on our show, we like to talk about the past, present, and future of all things technology in a topical, interesting, and digestible way. Without geek speak or a bunch of acronyms, we just want to talk about technology that's important to us and important to you. We also want to thank Cardinal Capital. To business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your lender. Even if you do, sometimes you face other challenges, such as a need to consolidate debt, a want to level out your cash flow, or a desire to buy new equipment because you're in growth mode. If this describes you, give Cardinal Capital a call, whatever your need or challenge. They have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business, and they want you to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business, so they can present your needs to lending institution that will best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important for lenders, and they are good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they will help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, all while being fun and easy to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net. You can also call them 225-308-3700 or email them info at cardinalcap.net. Okay, Mr. Davis, let's kick off some tech gumbo for the day. I would love a cup. The news and updates, the big, big one to start with is Facebook just turned 20 years old. That's truly staggering that Facebook has been around for that long. I remember when it was brand new. I remember making my account. I, you know, I remember us making our accounts together and, and just how completely different of a world that was, how different the internet was, how different our experience. The idea of social media was still very new. And now I think Facebook really set the standard for what a lot of social media platforms are think like. Oh, I remember very vividly. The only reason we would allow you to have the social media account is if I got one to watch who you were friends with and watch your activity. But to, but to see how Facebook really has changed what the term social media didn't really exist before that. And so now you've got this big whole genre. Then when, you know, the fact that we don't care about our personal data anymore. We take all these quizzes, which Harry Potter house are you in and how many countries have you been to and all that silliness. And post pictures of yourself tagged in them. I was reading a really good article recently about the evolution of image recognition and about the ability to recognize people and faces. And it turns out that Facebook was one of the companies who was the first people to crack this. And it's because they just had hundreds or thousands of photos of people over several years. And so they could see how people aged from a bunch of different angles, from a bunch of different lighting perspectives. And so they had hundreds of millions or billions of photos with the right answers. And so it meant that they could sit there and just run a really talented team of engineers through it because that data collection and tagging process is most of what takes so long when you're training a large machine learning model. And we just kind of handed it to them. 
Yeah, I don't even remember when that ended. Now that you say that, but yeah, it used to be that anytime you saw a picture, hey, do you want to tag this person? But that's that's not a thing anymore, which is probably a good thing though. Oh, because whenever they at first you just had to tag everything yourself, and then it started suggesting tags. And at first it was okay, and then it got really good, and people got creeped out because they didn't understand how it was working. Then Facebook went and got political, and everybody got all their arms all up in arms about well, I'm on this side of the political aisle or that side of the political aisle. How can you be so stupid to be over there? No, you're ridiculous to be over there. And and that's when people started turning away from Facebook. I really do think that that twenty sixteen election is if you had to point to one singular instance, that would be the decline of Facebook in America at least. I, I can't speak to it globally. But in the U.S., I think that's wherever you saw a lot of people who are my generation say, oh, the older people on here are fighting and it's getting ugly and I'm going to go somewhere else. Because prior to that, Facebook had been the center of culture in that that's where you posted all of your pictures. That's where you some of the stuff happened there. It's where you made events and you had groups and it really was a centralized hub for everything. And it was fantastic until people just said, I don't want to be here anymore. It's no longer fun. Exactly. And now if, if you're there, it's why? And why are you, and unless you're just trying to be silly or unless you're trying to make political points. And as we've said, nobody's ever won a political argument on Facebook, but people keep trying. Oh, yeah. Another thing that it's, it's really done is that it has shrunk the internet. That Facebook has tried for a very long time to be the center of everything. And that whenever you look at, it's no longer, oh, I'm going to a bunch of different websites. I'm going to Facebook and I'm going to Instagram and to TikTok or to YouTube. But these social media platforms are now the way that most people interface with the internet as opposed to, you know, having a bunch of different streams of place of information. Right. You used to have to go to RSS feeds to find things, or you, you were going to go to this news outlet's website or this sports outlet website. And now you can just go to a social media platform and you can find it all there. It really has changed what social media means. And I think we're continuing to see change in social media. It'll be interesting to see where the next 20 years go in how, how different it's going to look because it certainly is not going to look like it looks today. Is Facebook still a thing or have we finally moved on from that? Have they evolved into something more? I know they're trying the metaverse and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they, they really haven't done a whole lot with VR in the past year or so. I think that a lot of the ideas really fell flat on their face and everyone's sh shifting to generative AI. And so I think one of the questions is how do large language models impact social media platforms. We see it's not going well over on Twitter, but Facebook, yeah, I think they're trying to figure out how do they use it. They've said maybe they introduce profiles that you can talk to that are, it's like an avatar of a famous person, but I don't really want to talk to Abraham Lincoln that much. He's a cool figure, but I, I don't really know who he wants to win the Chiefs versus the 49ers game. That's just not something that's interesting to me. After we saw Zuckerberg's half-bodied avatar, I think I'm done with avatars for a while. Speaking of TikTok, they have gotten into a bit of a tizzy with 
the Universal Music Group and Universal has decided to pull all of the music rights from TikTok. Which is absolutely fascinating because all of those videos still exist, but there's just no longer music behind them. And so this is really, really interesting to see what comes next. TikTok already paid the lowest dollar per stream of any of the platforms, but it was also a place where a lot of songs were gaining ground. You can see over time the shift towards the TikTokification of songs. A lot of pop music was being written with hooks that were intentionally designed to be TikTok videos. And so if Universal is going to say, we demand to be paid more, will TikTok increase their revenue subscription rate? Or will TikTok open the floodgates on artificially generated music? We're already seeing that creep into Spotify. And so do you just replace all of the, you know, the Taylor Swift songs with stuff which sounds like Taylor Swift? Is that good enough? Or do we see pirated versions? This is a, a complex topic that will really shape a lot of the future of social media and music. When you start taking the likes of a Taylor Swift who just owns the world at the moment, but then you got the Harry Styles, Adele, all of the rest of these these big artists, people consume a lot of their music. And to say, no, you're not going to play any of these songs on your platform anymore. That's going to take a hit into into TikTok. And so if they want to continue to have that music grow now, it's also going to hurt Universal because people aren't finding Taylor Swift's new songs on TikTok. People don't go down to the record store like, like, like they used to. They're going to social media. Well, if they can't go to TikTok and find that new Taylor Swift song, well, do they download it to their Spotify accounts? Well, and it's it's not even just new songs. There's a lot of old songs which have seen ground swells. Now, there's a very good reason to believe that a lot of that uh, is astroturfing and that it's the music industry bringing back those old songs very intentionally that they already own the rights to. But it still exists that you see... You know, a few years ago, there was the song from Fleetwood Mac that went viral in a TikTok video. And so it's it's not just about what's new. You can easily have a song which is 10, 20, 30 years old pop back up and see a whole bunch of streams again, a whole bunch of downloads again. So this is it's not just about the present. It's also about the entire library here for Universal Music. You've got the Eagles. I mean, you know, my generation's music kind of stuff. That's that's huge that all that's gone. Because even stuff like the after the Grammys, the Tracy Chapman song Fast Car spiked in downloads. And so you can see that it really just takes a one viral moment for a song which had seen basically no play to suddenly have this huge spike. And so I'm sure she saw a portion of that video, uh, revenue. And so there's a, a complex interaction between social media and music revenue. I'm really curious to see where does this go? Well, if they're not going to have Katrina and the waves back on TikTok, I'm just never going to get on TikTok. I don't have it downloaded in my phone. But speaking of TikTok and other forms of social media, there's been some ebbs and flows and TikTok is still still growing. Boy, that X or Twitter or whatever Voldemort wants to call it, it's tanking. Yeah, I mean, 
The biggest one, which it's interesting, sometimes we think about it as social media, sometimes we don't. YouTube, YouTube is still absolutely the juggernaut. It is by far the one which people spend the most amount of time on, uh, the most people spend time on it, and everything else pales in comparison to that. But when you start to think about your Facebook, your Instagram, your TikTok, that's whenever you start to see a, a tighter clustering of platforms. And throw in LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn is a social media platform, and the business community is certainly rallying to that more and more. Oh, I think that LinkedIn provides a place that looks and feels like social media, but it strips away a lot of the ridiculousness or the insanity of Facebook. And it's just everyone there is much more professional version of themselves. And it's fine. But I think that it inherently lacks the addictiveness of the other social media uh, platforms. And I think that's for the best, but I think it also limits the growth of LinkedIn. It's just kind of saturated. It's a little sterile is what you're looking for. Yes. I'm not desperate to see one or two more of my, you know, colleagues, promotions, someone who I knew uh, 15 years ago. Oh, good for them. But Threads is making a comeback. This does not surprise me at all. It was always going to to grow. It had that initial launch in July. Everyone picked it up, looked at it, and went, meh. And then it was going to take six to six months to a year to start climbing back up. And the it's at about 100 million uses right now. My guess is that arrow is only pointed upwards. One of the things that's interesting is they're trying to get actively involved in the Fediverse or the Federated Universe, which is a group of all the online networks where you post on one thing and it automatically gets posted on all of the other platforms. And it used to be that when you posted something on Twitter, it also would post on Facebook. Or if you posted on Facebook, it would also post on Twitter. But that was a very short lived thing because both platforms said, no, you got to stay on my platform. And so you had that that ended. That was for a, a quick cup of coffee. It was around. I think also this is is different in that these platforms are designed with this in mind. I think that Facebook and Twitter interaction or that back before Facebook owned Instagram, you could cross share posts, whereas this is from the ground up. So this is the threads platform. This is Mastodon. This is Blue Sky. All of these platforms are designed to think about them more like an email account in that it's much less of the walled garden. You know, Twitter wants its posts to be almost exclusively on Twitter. You can link it out, but it's kind of clunky. You're not interacting directly. Whereas all these, the goal of all these platforms is to have the content be able to smoothly migrate and smoothly transition from platform to platform. Moving into the last couple stories, Google and Yahoo are trying to crack down on spam. They are making it much, much harder for marketers to send emails directly from their own inboxes. This makes sense as a move from them. They're trying to push marketing towards subscription services, the large providers, your MailChimp, your Salesforce, Constant Contact, all those platforms, because there's verification in there. Whenever you start to organize it and you start to gatekeep a lot of that stuff, it's much easier to catch and prevent bad actors. The Constant Contact, HubSpot, MailChimp, those guys, they're going to have some level of cybersecurity so that they're going to comb through phishing attacks. 
they're not going to be real, real hyper cybersecurity, but they're also not going to have things that are really, really harmful that are blatantly obvious. And you have to go sign up for an account on those platforms. And if Google comes back and says, hey, look, we noticed that Haggai Davis is pushing through a bunch of not just spam, but malicious stuff. Can you turn his water off? MailChimp could go prevent your ability to do that anymore. And so now all of a sudden, you're removing the ability for spammers to blast those mass emails because you're forcing it to be on trusted pipelines. And certainly the larger cybersecurity platforms that, that do screen and filter email when they when you're somebody who sends tens of thousands of emails, you're going to get blacklisted real fast. Even if you just send 500 a day, you're you're going to get blacklisted. Your domain is going to get ultimately blacklisted and then you're going to have trouble contacting your clients. So don't do that. Move to one of these services. Really make sure that you are taking your time. If broad email communication is part of your job or part of your company, go through one of these services. They're not that expensive. They provide a lot of features for you. They do a lot of tracking. This is something which is good for you as the user to, to pick up and, and to really use. And it's also good for the entire internet user base. The last story we wanted to get to, rather amusing, there were a 3 million malware-infected smart toothbrushes that caused a direct denial of service attack. This one's ridiculous. <laughs> We've been talking about IoT devices and how that they're oftentimes not very secure. And in cybersecurity, you are only secure as your weakest link. And if you ha can have your front door locked and uh, plated steel, but if you leave the top window open, well, someone's going to find their way in. And that's what happened here. There was a bunch of smart toothbrushes which connected to the internet, and that was enough. They were able to string them together and <laughs> turn it into a, a, a string of bots which went and overrun some Swiss server. That is just so amusing and sad all in the same time that you've got to go in and change these default passwords for these Internet of Thing devices. We've been talking about that at least half a decade now, and yet people still don't understand. Any device that connects to the internet in your home has a password and needs to be changed as soon as you open the box. I mean, plug it in and then change the password. Because when you don't, things like this happen. You've got three million toothbrushes that are acting as, as bots that are causing some direct denial of service for some account that didn't know why toothbrushes were attacking them. Yeah, my guess is that's part of uh, why this was so confusing for that server is that all these toothbrushes which had access to the internet were all told simultaneously, hey, go send, uh, send some information to this one server in Switzerland. And that is, I'm sure it was absolutely confused because normally they're prepared to accept certain type of requests they're looking for a cell phone or they're looking for a laptop they're not looking for a toothbrush and so that comes with its own weird type of encoding and then whenever you have 
one, okay, well, that's strange, but when you have a hundred or a thousand or a million, now all of a sudden the server is completely overwhelmed. And instead of letting them in one at a time, it just shuts down and says, I can't do anything. You got to clear them out manually and reboot me. So it doesn't matter if you have a refrigerator or a washing machine or a clock in the wall or vacuum cleaner or a vacuum cleaner or any device in your house that connects to the internet. Please go change that default password. We want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed service provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers across the southeastern United States. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through continuous innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 180 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, program designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of business schools and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business strengths. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need IT services, new technology, or have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. If you enjoyed our show today, we are here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4 p.m. And the show reruns Sundays also at 4 p.m. If you missed any part of the show or you'd like to hear this or previous episodes, check out our podcast. Available on almost every podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, and more. When you're there, be sure to subscribe so you get notified every time we post a new episode. If you like our show or you have any suggestions, let us know on our website at www.techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.